<laughs> ain't nobody wider than me when it comes to having to bust a move. But anyway, that just, I tell you, man, that song, I just love that song. I love the message in it. And you know, if we're talking about joy and we're talking about stealing joy, um, and it said that song, and I don't know why that, that verse resonates, but there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. Now, if you're an English teacher, I'm sorry that ain't is in there, but it's, the, it's in the words of the song, but there's nothing gonna steal my joy. And I think really, if we've been thinking about um, this study we've been in the last uh, couple of weeks, and we're going to continue in this morning, uh, if you had to, if we had to take all this information and, and say, well, how does this practically apply to my life, and why should I bother listening and applying it to my life? One of the reasons we do that is so that our joy will not be stolen. What happens whenever we take these, you know, what we're going to talk about this morning and, and what we've talked about the last couple of weeks? What happens when we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, when we forget about the goodness of his love, we forget about the goodness of his word, then we become susceptible to having joy stolen from us because our focus instead, it's a little bit like Peter, you know, Peter when he's walking on the water, you know, Peter's, uh, he, as long as his eyes are on Christ, like he's doing good, he's, he's doing well, he's on the water. As soon as he takes his eyes off of Christ, he's looking at the wind of the waves around him, he begins to sink and for us, a lot of Deuteronomy, in a specific chapter, is about us keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. And so let me give you a little bit of background, then we're going to dive right in. Uh, Moses uh, has been leading God's people. He led them out of Egyptian slavery, um, and he is getting ready. The, the, the people, not Moses, but the people are getting ready to enter into God's promised land. Because of uh, something that happened in, in Moses' life, we're going to talk about that here either this week or next week. Uh, because of so, something that Moses did, some disobedience on his part, he's not getting able, he's not able to go. And so he's got this generation, what we would call a new generation of Israelites, uh, that are getting ready to enter into God's promised land. And, and Deuteronomy is really a, a book that, that is Moses' final words to God's people before they enter into the land that God had promised to give them. And so we spent some time specifically focusing on Deuteronomy chapter six. And, and, and really, if we had to kind of have a, a title of this thing, of what we've been talk, talking about, um, it, we would call this, uh, the first couple of weeks, we looked at the goodness of God's word. And so if we were gonna read this and, and look at it through that lens, listen to what, what he says. It's Deuteronomy chapter six. And, and he, he, says, he says something along the lines, he says, uh, now this is the command, the statutes and the rules that, I, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess it. Uh, verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. So this is a generational thing. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and here's a good part. Why, 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 how does this apply? Why should I listen? Why should I apply these truths to my life? Because he says that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. There are benefits to God's word in a relationship with him, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, uh, the, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is summing up right here, that, those, those two verses, 
that there is one God and he you are to love with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, with all your intensity. That is the, 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 the basis for everything that he's talking about here. If you wanted to sum up this chapter in one word, it is that it is God's love for us and our love for God and, then, and, and how that is reflected and what that looks like, both our love for him and his love for us. And what that looks like. And so he talks about these words being on our hearts and that we should teach them diligently, intentionally to our children, that we talk of them early in the morning when we wake up. We talk of them at night before we go to bed. We talk of them in a formal situation where we're sitting down and maybe having devotion time as a family. We talk of them informally when we're walking around and we're making real life connections for our kids in real life. So it's all taking place in all these things. And he says they, they, are, they are all encompassing. It is everywhere. They're appropriate in the morning. They're appropriate at night. They're appropriate formally like we are today. They're appropriate informally that God's word applies to everything. Professionally, personally, relationally, spiritually, that it, it works for all things. And we're gonna get into a little bit different part of it this morning. So we looked at the goodness of God's word. And, 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 and so today I want us to look primarily um, at the goodness of God's love. And so in the verses we're gonna look at today, um, we're gonna look at God's love for us and, and we're gonna view it through the lens of the Israelites, but the same truths that apply to them specifically in Deuteronomy chapter six apply to us today. And then we're gonna look at, at what the, the, the Israelites and our response ought to be to that love that God has for us. So before we read, let's pray and we'll dive into the text. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful uh, that you have given us different modes of worship. Father, we have come together this morning uh, and Father, we have worshiped you in song and Father, we're thankful for those that you have given us that are gifted in music. We thank you that we can come together and, and worship your name collectively through song. We thank you for the songs that have been chosen, Lord, and, and Father, for, and, they, and they speak to us emotionally, Father, that we, we can stop and think of, of the words that we have sung and we have lifted those up to you, songs to you and songs about you and, and, and Father, songs about what you have done for us and God, we're so thankful for that. Lord, we've had an opportunity this morning to uh, worship you with our, our first fruits, with the, the first and the best. And so, Father, as the, the plates went around and we collected this morning's offering, it's another expression of our worship uh, to you, Father, that, that, that we trust you with, with everything that we have, uh, even our finances. So, Father, that is an extension of our worship. And now, Father, we come to a time where we get to worship you in your word, that we get to study about you and know you, Father, that it would expand our minds and, and enlarge our hearts and, and be able to give us a better understanding understanding of this God that we are worshiping and that we are loving, this God that has called us to, to worship him and him alone, that it's not just enough for us to just worship you, Father, but you want to be worshiped exclusively. And Father, you deserve that. And we see it all throughout your word and the great and marvelous things that you have done for your people. God, we see it in, in, in Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins, Lord, that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, those that are here this morning, Lord, we stand in that relationship. God, we are so very thankful for that. And God, we gather together this morning, not only to worship you for that, but also to create an environment where maybe those this morning who are here with us that maybe have, don't have a relationship with you, that God, they may, be, they may feel welcome and invited into this relationship. And God, we're gonna do our part. And Father, we pray that you would do yours, that through the service, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move in our midst, that it would stir our hearts, that you'd be our teacher and our guide through the text. And that God, you would help us to come to a better, more fuller understanding 
Father, of who you are, your great love for us, Father, but also what our love response to you should be for the things you've done for us. And so, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the timelessness of it. We thank you for its inerrancy and infallibility, Father, that we can read it and know that it is truth. And God, we ask and pray your blessings as we read it and study it together this morning. For it's in Christ's name we ask it all. And all God's people said, amen. Let's look together. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to be in reading it in verse 10. And I want to, uh, we're going to kind of take this in, in bits and pieces this morning. But I want us to get a kind of full idea in a few verses of what's going on. And we'll go back and kind of break it down a little bit. So in verse 10, he says, And when the Lord your God... Uh, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers. Now, the promised land was something that God had promised to their descendant Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and through the, the generations. And, and, they, and, and they wind up, you know, they're in, they're in slavery and they, then God delivers them out of the slavery. And now, finally, they're getting ready to enter into the land that God had, had promised to give them. And so he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, and listen here, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of, of, of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and, and by his name uh, you shall swear. And so you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples, excuse me, who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you off the face of the earth. Now, so let's look at this again in light of, of what kind of this big picture thing, the goodness of God. We looked at the goodness of God's word. This, mo this morning, we're gonna look uh, at the goodness of God's, uh, of God's love. Now, here's the thing. Again, this bit chapter, the, the thought of this chapter really begins in, in verses four and five. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That this love is the focus. That in, in what it looks like for God, what God's love looks like for us and what our love for God looks like like in response to that. And so, uh, you know, love isn't a, a, a one-sided affair. Love doesn't work when just one side's investing in it and the other side's walking away from it. It's a two-way street. And so when love is, when God's love is showered on us, and listen, if you don't know about the love of God, let me just put it to you this way. There is nothing else on this earth that by which you can compare the love of God. You can look at the marriage relationship and say, well, that's like, uh, that's like the love God has for us. It is like it, but it is, nothing, it is nothing like it in the same breath. It is so much more than that relationship. And I love my wife, but my understanding of the love of God is so much more than just the love that I have for my wife. And that's a pretty incredible love. You say, well, it's kind of like the love that a parent has for a child. I love my kids. But listen, I'll tell you, God loves my kids more and God loves me more than I'm capable of loving my kids. And so you start looking at all these responses and you say, well, what does love look like? Well, love looks like a two-way street. I extend my love to Ashley. Ashley extends her love back to me that there is a response to these affections that flow between two hearts. Uh, we talked last week about you know uh, my children, and I want them to obey their father, not because I'm mean and cruel. I want them to obey me because they love me and they trust me, right? And so all these factors and these relationships 
All these dynamics that we have in these interpersonal relationships we have are found in their perfection in our relationship with Christ. Now, I want to make that abundantly clear this morning, that my relationship with the Lord and God's love for me is not marred by the imperfections of the human heart, right? So if I have a problem in my relationship with my wife and, I, and, I'm, and the preacher's saying that our relationship with Christ is like your marriage and your, and your, with your spouse and you start going, well, she or he and you start listing all these things that they don't do and you start projecting them onto God, you need to pump the brakes, right? Because that's not how this thing works. It is in perfection that God loves us. Not our perfection, but perfect love that which God loves us. So there's none of these hangups in our interpersonal relationships that, that we can project onto God. He is perfect. And so we get a glimpse of this perfection. I wanna talk, I wanna begin in, in, in verse 10 this morning because there's some things I want us to understand as we are reading this. And so it says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land. Now, notice it doesn't say, and if the Lord your God brings you into the land, it's when the Lord your God brings you into the land. We see God's faithfulness in this. And I wanna tell you something. We touched on this last week and I wanna to touch on it briefly this week. There is a place that God wants you to be, and it may not be a physical place. It may be a spiritual place. It is for sure a relationship with him, but it's not if God can get me there. It's when God does, if you'll let him. Now, these people that we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter six, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God. God delivered them out of the hand of Egyptian slavery. They've been slaves for 400 years. God delivers them out of that. And he says, and he does wondrous miracles. They, they cross this sea when God parts the waters and they walk across on dry land, right? It is mind-blowing. I want to see that DVD in heaven. I want to experience that. I hope someone had a GoPro on that we can experience that in real life. That these waters part and they walk through on dry ground. He provides food and water for them to drink. And yet constantly, they're, 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 they had this rebelliousness. Moses, why'd you bring us out here in the wilderness if we're just gonna die? And then, and then the, the God says, I'm gonna lead you in the promised land. And they say, well, let us send 12 spies in to see what things are gonna look like there. And so they send 12 spies in. Now, grant, now understand this. God had already promised them this land. This is gonna be your land. And they say, well, let first let us send 12 spies to scope it out first. And they come back and the people are like giants and they, they're, they're bringing back this cluster of grapes and the grapes are the size of their head. They're big grapes, oh, that's all I know. And, they're, and, and they come back and, they're, and, and 10 of the 12 say, there's no way, there's no way we can defeat these people. There's no way. And there were two spies, Joshua, uh, oh, help me out, Caleb, that say, listen, God's already given us the land into our hand. All we need to do is obey him. We just need to follow him, and it's ours. And the people rebelled, and they sided with the 10. And because of that, because of that rebellion, God says, if you don't trust me, after all these things I've already done, you don't trust me, then this generation will not live to see the promised land. And so for 40 years, these people, and I'm not talking about a group of 20. It's not like you taking your, your, your mom and your dad and your brothers and your siblings and their kids. I'm talking about million people wandering the wilderness, living in tents for 40 years until an entire gener faithless generation dies off. And now that next generation, these that were children and early teens are getting ready to rise up and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God says, listen, I'll, and Moses says, I, you've got to understand some things. 
in order for you not only to get to the place that God wants you to be, but once you are there to continue in the place God wants you to be, you need to to love the Lord. There's one God and you need to love him with all your heart. And you need to hold fast to his laws. You need to hold fast to his commands because they're good for you. They're a blessing to you. They They will keep you safe and give you life. Not only that, but I want you to take those things that you have learned and I want you to pass them down to your children because this needs to be a generational thing. That it's not just about you serving the Lord, but we need our children to serve the Lord and, their, and our children's children to serve the Lord. And we want them to honor him and serve him and we want the peoples around them to understand that we serve the living God. We want God to be glorified in the way that we live our lives. And he's sharing all this stuff with him and he's saying, listen, and when God the Lord your God. Now understand this, who was giving them this land? God was. God was giving them a place to live. And, and so, and, and listen to the personalization of this. And when the Lord your God, it's not the, Moses isn't saying the Lord my God, the God that I worship. Now you guys may find somebody else. There, this is not something, sometimes we think, well, you know, you've got your God and I got my God and we all got our own gods and we can just worship all gods because all roads lead to the same place. All roads do not lead to the same place. That's why Moses is explicitly telling his people, it is why God wrote the 10 commandments and it was explicit. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have, there's nothing else. There is me and nothing, I mean, that's it. I'm the only one that's doing the things that I can do. And, 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 and God, we were gonna read it later, but God is a jealous God. And God doesn't want his claim or you know, his, his glory to go anywhere else. Why? Because he's the one doing all these things. And so they are coming out of a land filled with pagan gods and idols. And they're getting ready to go into another land that is filled with pagan gods and idols. And so he says, I want you to worship me and me alone. Now, what we discover later on as you start study the history of the Israelites, they were commanded that when you go into the promised land, you need to wipe the, wipe the people out. Like that's your command, that you will, that you will remove the enemies. You will drive them out. You'll, you'll get rid of them. You'll kill them because we, this is your land. It's the land that I'm giving you. What we find is that there are some peoples they don't destroy and they fall into this trap of idolatry and they begin to drift away from the Lord. And so all this, but it is the Lord, your God. This is your God and he is my God. It is the same God. And he says, when he gives you this land, now listen to his goodness as we, as we keep reading. The land that he swore you to the father, so he's faithful. Here's, maybe that's something you need to hear this morning. God is faithful. If he speaks it, he will do it. Now, God is not a McDonald's where we place our order and in 30 seconds or 60 seconds or less, we drive up to the window, we exchange currency or whatever, and then we get our food and we drive off. Sometimes there is a process that God desires for us to go through in that, in, in his faithfulness, that, that, that he's preparing us for something. These people have been prepared for the land that they're getting ready to go into. Sometimes God needs to do preparation in our hearts and our lives to prepare us for the place that he wants us to be or the place that, we're to, that he wants us to arrive at, whether it's spiritually or, or something along those lines. But our land or the promise that he's got for us as individuals, that he's got, there's a preparation there. It doesn't always happen like that. And we want it to, and then we, we wrestle with God over that. 
but he's got this land and he wants him to go to it. He's already given it to him. But listen as he describes it. He said, when you go into the land that I promised to give your fathers, you are experiencing the, the fruition and, the, and, the, and the, the, the result of that promise. And he says, with good and or great and good cities that you didn't build and houses full of all good things that you didn't fill and cisterns that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant when you eat and are full. He says, I'm gonna bring you into this area that has already been developed for you. I mean, that's amazing that they're, they're gonna walk in, they're gonna have houses that they didn't build and, and wells to draw water out of that they didn't have to dig. Vineyards and olive trees that they, that they didn't have to plant and wait for the harvest to come. All those things are gonna be there and God is giving these things to him. Why? Because he loves them. And then, he, then so he, they're, they're getting a grasp of all this that, that God is doing for them out of his great love for them. But listen to what he says after that. He says, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, the first thing that is statement in that that I think is important for us is to take care. Sometimes I think for us in our Christian lives, we take care to wake up on Sunday mornings. We get ourselves and our families ready. We take care to be at church. And we're glad that you do that. But when we leave here on Sunday morning, we don't always take care. We kind of fall into a default mode, right? And maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But we kind of fall into this autopilot. Well, I've been to church this morning and, and then I go and I, and I fall back into the same routine at work. I'm not taking care, that idea of, of, of caring for something, of, uh, of, of, of uh, I'm kind of losing, um, of nurturing it, of, of treasuring it. Take care of what God does in our heart. Take care of the Lord that we don't forget about him on Sunday at 1115 when we're walking out of here that we take care. So he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, when he says forget, he's not talking about an absence from memory. Oh, I forgot my keys. Oh, I forgot what the code was or the password is to this website. It's not, it, it, it's not, it's not forgetting like from memory, oh, you know, where it's not in our heads anymore. The forgetting the Lord that Moses is warning his people about is a waning of devotion. It's a waning of devotion. When he's saying, don't you know, take care lest you forget the Lord. You know, right now, man, you're worshiping. Things are good. You're getting ready to go into the promised land. But there's going to come a time when in the midst of all this blessing, your devotion is going to begin to wane a little bit. And so he says, I, I want you to not uh, forget the Lord. The most critical threats, I read this and I wanted to share it. The most critical threats to godly living come at the moment when we believe that we have life by the throat. And for Americans, like we by and large feel that way most of our lives because we, we are so blessed to live in the country that we live in. Even with all its faults and, and failures and everything else, we live in a good land by, if we were to do the comparison game of, of what other people are living in. Right now, we've got a, a team of, of, of people that are uh, from our, well, there's three from our church and I think five from another church in Pennsylvania that are in Bulgaria right now. You want to recognize how good we have it? Join the next mission trip to Bulgaria. 
Like we have it good here. And we, and we sometimes just have this, this hard time. Like we have life by the throat and, and things are going good. And we can get so caught up in God's blessings that we forget the one who has given us all that we have. Well, nobody gave me what I've got. I earned this myself. No, God blessed you with it. When the Lord your God gives you the land, what you have, God has given you and allowed you to be stewards of it. He's allowed you to take what you've got and, and use it and, and steward it and manage it and watch over it. Like he has given that to you. Now, you've worked hard and that's not to say that your hard work is, is null and void. It is not. But we have to understand that all things, all good things come from the Lord. He is the giver of those things because he loves us. And so, as we, as we, and so we read that and we, and we look at it, he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, I'm not saying any of us in danger of this. And, and you, know, you say, well, I haven't forgot. Like, well, I'm here at church. But how's your devotion? Like, what does your faithfulness look like? Has it waned over the years? You know, and, and maybe for some of us, I mean, here's, here's, here's typically how life looks for me. Things go difficult. Boy, I am on my knees and I am worshiping the Lord and I'm reading his word. Things start getting better. What begins to happen? I pray a little less. I read his word a little less. Things are going really well. Like I may not pick it up at all, right? Surely I'm not the only one here. Like when things are good, God is kind of this back of my mind type thing. When things are bad, he rushes to the front. Why? Because I need him in the bad times. But why is that the case for us? Why do we have a tendency to fall away? One of the things that we've talked about a lot is this acknowledgement of the good things that God has given us acknowledging his blessings, acknowledging the way that he's working in our lives, acknowledging the doors that he is opening, maybe even the doors that he is closing, but acknowledging God's moving in our life, God's activity in our life. Because folks, listen, God is at work around you, whether you see it or not. He's, all, he's at work all around you. And so that God would open our eyes to that, but we would not forget his goodness lest you forget the Lord. And how does, he, how does he continue on in there? He says, lest you uh, forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now let's, let's add some spiritual connotation to this, not just physical or material. But think about this. What was your life like before you, you had your relation, before you placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus? What did your life look like? I can tell you what mine looked like. Mine was a train wreck. Grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents, went to church every time the church doors were open. But you know, and I did like the Sunday thing. Like I was a senior in high school. I taught a Sunday school class. And man, inside my life was a wreck. Like I did, I did church. That's all I did. Like I did church. Wasn't anything, nothing really hit me here very much. In fact, when I started feeling God call me to preach, like I just kind of slammed the door a little bit harder and built the wall a little bit higher and just kept doing my own thing. And then I go off to college. And by God's grace, God put me at a, it wasn't a Christian school, but it was a school with some Christian dudes there. But that first semester, man, I just, I just rebelled. Now, now here's the deal. I still read my Bible every night. But it, nothing was, I did it because it was checking a box felt like everything was good with the Lord. I remember coming into my dorm room one night 
And you know the, the old ad, you know, the, the proverb that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. I, man, I was, we would call it as parents sowing wild oats. Man, I was just living in re- rebellion. That's all, that's strictly all it was. I remember coming in one night, and after a night of drinking, and I, and I come in, and it, the irony here is, is, don't lose this. I was drunk and would come back and read my Bible because I thought it was the right thing to do. I remember coming back into my dorm room, and my roommate, I don't know, he might have already been in bed, but it was late, and I come in, I flip my lamp on, and, and I had this green Bible that somebody, um, when I was in the fifth grade, someone had bought me. And I remember opening that Bible, I have no idea what I read, but I remember laying there in bed that night, and I remember thinking to myself, if I died right now, in this, in this, if I had a moment of, of sobriety that I could think about this, if I died right now, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are. Heaven's the place you should want to go. Hell's the place you'd want to stay as far away from as possible. It is not a party place. It's not a fun place. It's not a place anybody would want to go. And I'm thinking to myself, if I die right now, if I were to choke in my sleep, or I don't wake up in the morning, I'm not going to heaven. And it was in that moment that every wall that I, and God had been doing a whole bunch of other stuff in my life, been tearing down some things, my, my identity, the things that I'd kind of found myself of who I was, God had been kind of tearing that stuff down. And I remember just sitting there thinking, I'm not going to heaven. And, and I remember the next day, like I, I, I didn't sleep much that night, and the next day there was a guy down the, down the room uh, down my hall, my dorm hallway that I knew he was on the football team with me and, and, and he had answered the call to preach. And I was like, dude, I just need someone to talk to. And so he and I start talking and I, I get to meeting with this offensive lineman on the football team and we get to talk and it was just amazing what God did. But here's the thing, life, when life was good, I forgot the Lord. And then when life got bad, I still, I, I, I was just trying to check a box. Like there was no relationship in there. And, here, and, and what we've got to understand is that that if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can turn a prayer into checking a box. We can turn Bible reading into checking a box. And, and, these, and he's telling these people, I've got something good for you, but I don't want you to forget me. I've got something really better. You think, you think I've met all your needs through the wilderness? Let me show, what I'm about to do is, about, is gonna blow your minds. And, but over and over again, you see the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. And my question this morning is, is he the Lord, your God? Not as he, he's my husband's or my wife's God, I just come along for the ride. But is it a personal relationship with him? And if you don't know this morning, here's the beautiful thing about the scriptures is that you can know, that you don't have to wonder. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, That's what it takes. We believe that God is who God says he is, that Jesus is who Jesus says he was, that he came, was born of a virgin. And we may not understand all this, 
We say, listen, here's what I do know. I'm, I, I need, I know that God, you want a relationship with me and I want this relationship with you and I know that I don't have everything figured out right now. And you know what, these guys certainly didn't understand. They didn't understand all it was gonna take when they were going into the promised land. They didn't know what battles were gonna await them. They didn't know what the future held. All they know is that this was the place God wanted them to be and that God had provided for them and they were gonna go. And this morning, the same truth is for us, that there is a place that God has provided and God wants you to be there and that place is in a relationship with him. And there will be blessings there and there will be fruit there and there, and there'll be work that you didn't do. It's all because there are, you will receive things from the Lord that you didn't have to work for that he's just doing because he loves you. And even right now, some of those things are happening in our lives. But we're in danger of forgetting him of that devotion waning and we're not seeing the things that God is doing in our hearts and lives. I want us to understand this morning that we serve a good God and that good God loves us with an amazing, indescribable, inexpressible love. And that, and that we should have a response to that love. And that response to that love is to love him in return and to hold fast to his words that it may be well with us, that we would understand that there are real life benefits and blessings to following and obeying God's word. I don't, I don't know what things look like in your life right now. But here's what I know. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, we would like to help you leave here this morning with that. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and maybe that kind of speaks to you, that waning of devotion. That you've been living in the goodness of the Lord, but not really acknowledging him and thanking him. And maybe your response to his blessing maybe just hasn't been absolutely appropriate. Maybe it's just been a lot of taking things for granted and, and, and not... And not recognizing where they've come from. But every morning, every Sunday, if you're new to this, we have an opportunity to, to, to respond where we just have a moment where we stand. And, and so why don't you go ahead and stand with me? Or we stand and we have music. Our musicians are gonna come. And we have these altars up here. And, and you know, here's the thing. I, I think there's a lot of us here this morning that leave every Sunday with some really good intentions. Whoever preaches, and we've got a stable of, of I mean, we got some great preachers in our church. But we leave, we leave in the morning with some great intentions. We leave and we hear something and it stirs our heart. But something happens between the doors and the cars or the doors in the driveway. That that zeal and that, those intentions, they get lost somewhere. You see, here for a brief period of time, you and I have the opportunity that, that they're, you know, hopefully your phones are on do not disturb or on silence, they're not buzzing in your pocket. That we're, that we're focused for, for an hour together. But then we leave here and, and the distractions start pulling in. And if you think that's by accident, it's not. Satan wants to mess up whatever God does with you here in this moment. But I don't want us to leave here with intentions this morning. I intend on getting saved, just not today. I intend on making things right with the Lord, just not today. I'll do it when I get home. I intend on doing fill in the blank, but I just don't want to do it right now. Or I'll do it when I get home. Or I'll do it tonight when I'm having my devotion time. 
but it's always that. It's just an intention. And we keep putting it off day after day after day. The time of putting off in, of, of, of intentions and putting them off is over. If God is dealing with your heart about anything, maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's about the waning devotion. Maybe it's about something going on in your life. And man, you just need wisdom, right? Like who doesn't need a healthy dose of wisdom and discernment in their life? Maybe there's decisions you're facing. Maybe there's, there's things that are going on in your life. Maybe you haven't told everybody else. God already knows them. He says, I know what you need already. So just ask me. And I'm not saying that you can't take care of some of that stuff there, but some of you, God's not calling to take care of stuff where you're at. He's calling you to step out and come. And part of the freedom is, 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 the, is the process of obedience, of doing what God. God says, here's what I want you to do and here's how I want you to do it. And if you want to experience what God has for you, it doesn't, say, it doesn't start by saying, whoa, God, I don't like that plan. Let me give you mine the peace and the joy that we ultimately desire in our life begins by us saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want, you point the way and I'll go. And this morning, some of you, God's saying, I want you to go to these altars and I want you to lay these things down. I want you to lay your cares down. I want you to lay your concerns down. I want you to lay your fears down. I want you to lay your worries down. I want you to lay all these burdens that you're harboring and you're trying to do everything about. I want you to lay them down. I want you to give them to me. And then I just want you to say, yes, Lord, this is what I will do when I tell you to go do something. That's it. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we know.